Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and websites, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. If you want to get to the heart of what your style is and how to express that in your home, then I'm excited to share some free resources with you. When you pre-order my new book, Style, The Art of Creating a Beautiful Home, before its worldwide release on July 5, you will get instant access to some free bonuses. First of all, you will go into the draw to win one of 10 places in the Styling Masterclass, valued at Australian $799. 
Secondly, you will get a free workbook on how to find your style. This is basically taking the ideas behind the book and helping you apply them to who you are. And finally, you will get instant access to three styling insider guides, including how to style step-by-step, -step, walking you through how to style a space, a styling checklist, what you need to make sure you have in each space, and your essential styling toolkit, which includes the essentials I have in my home that help me always be ready to style my spaces. Just a reminder that these free bonuses are only available when you pre-order my new book, Style. All you have to do to claim your bonuses is go to nataliewalton.com forward slash style book and enter your receipt or order number from your bookseller and you will get instant access to the downloads and will automatically go into the draw for the giveaway. You will find all the T's and C's there too. So don't forget to go to nataliewalton.com forward slash style book and you will find out where you can pre-order the book and how to collect your bonuses. Hello everyone, I hope you're all well. I'm excited to share today's interview because it was so great to get an insight into the story behind Sam Poffier, who many of you will know as a stylist guide on Instagram. What's fascinating is that even though Sam has built a sizable following, she's chosen not to share her work in a public way online. Instead, she's built a thriving business on the back of word of mouth recommendations which is seeing her designing projects in California and New York. Quite a change of scene for a woman who grew up in Melbourne. Oh, and before we begin, begin, I should add that this is actually the second time we've done this interview. The first time we had a technical issue with the recording. So I'm thrilled that Sam agreed to come back and share her story again. And I encourage you to check out not only her Instagram feed, but her online shop that we speak about. You can access the links to all of that in the show notes, more on that later. But for now, enjoy our chat. Hi, Sam. I am so excited to, to chat with you. I mentioned in the intro that this is actually our second attempt at having this conversation. Well, we've had the conversation, but it's going to be the second attempt at sharing it with listeners. So I am really excited because I've already had a bit of a preview of, of your story and, um, and it's a good one. So first of all, I like to start at the beginning because I'm always curious to find out how people's childhoods inform where they are today. So can you share a little bit about your child up, childhood, where you grew up and were you creative as a child? Sure. Thank you, Natalie. Great question. Um, I grew up in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, when uh, first place I grew up was Caulfield, and then we moved to Brighton. And I just remember every Saturday morning, my mum taking us down to Chapel Street, to Turak Road, to antique stores, and we go to the Vic Market um, most often on a Saturday morning as well. And then on Sundays, my dad would drive us around, do architectural drives to look at houses. He was uh, grew up in North Melbourne. So there were older, beautiful Victorian and Edwardian homes. And, of course, Brighton had lovely places as well. But um, my life was filled with a lot of um, enrichment on those levels as far as what I could see and places we could go. And then, of course, Melbourne being um, 
such a um, mecca of restaurants and an Italian influence. Um, it was beautiful, a great place to shop, great place to eat and beautiful home. So I was lucky to experience that from a very, very young age and, uh, you know, grateful. I think I attribute it to um, the design that I um, incorporate now. And so do you, that when you started to then go into those teenage years, did you have an inkling then of what you wanted to do when you kind of grew up? You know, did you have a sense of what you wanted to do after school? Yes, I always thought I wanted to be in the fashion industry and I think that was just because I was exposed to it a lot. Um, you know, I went, I started uh, art school actually in high school, um, always moving my room around, helping my mum at home with things like that. I, I dreamed about it all the time. I definitely did see um, that as uh, my path. I, I just always thought it would be in fashion more than it would be in home. So it's I was constantly inspired by what was going on in um, the clothing industry. And back then it was magazines and that was all we could really see. But, um, yeah, I ended up in home even though I thought it would be fashion. And so what did, did you go on to do further studies after school or did you go straight into the industry? Um, I did a little bit of both. So I was thinking about that last night. I actually did an, uh, an internship in Richmond for a fashion home um, right out of high school uh, and I was doing pattern making and things like that and then um, went on to university. I studied in, you know, in the United States. I studied fashion and I studied ceramics and part of the fashion, thank goodness, uh, our fashion degree was business and that that has been really, really valuable and important. But, yeah, I did go on to study. I did four years at university. Did you say that you did that in the U.S.? Yes, I did. I moved to you know, the United States to study so, and was that by yourself or with your family? Um, I had a sister over here. My parents had moved over here for some work uh, in the 90s and I had a sister over here going to university and she's like, well, why don't you come over too? So I did. I came over and started studying with her. So I did have a sister and I have one here still now um, uh, that lives close by in Newport Beach, but my mum and dad and two sisters are still home in Australia in Melbourne. And I'm curious, what industry were your parents working in to kind of go across to the States in the 90s? My dad had a consulting company, he had a sales consulting company. And actually, when we, when I was about 10 or 11, we moved to Sydney, and I know you're from New South Wales, and we moved to uh, Pimble and Warunga. And then later on, my parents lived in um, Wollstonecraft for a while. Um, so dad was in sales and mum was a stay-at-home mum, but she was a seamstress. She was a self-taught seamstress, my mother. Oh, that's interesting. So I wonder if that kind of informed the the fashion to some degree. Oh, definitely. We used to go to fabric stores for hours and my mum made a lot of our clothing. That's, yeah, that's so good. That's such a gift. I mean, my mum, she made quite a bit as well, but I certainly didn't pick that up from her. Really? So, <laughs> so a bit um, of a dying art now, isn't it? But, yeah, no, I remember making a lot of clothing at a very young age because I wanted things. And so I wanted to be able to make that dress or that shirt or whatever it was. And, and uh, mum taught me how to do that. So then what happened once you finished your studies in the US? Where did you then end up? I started working for a company called DKNY in 1999. 
That was my first job uh, after university and I was in charge of merchandising all of their stores and the shop layouts and also the line list, what we were going to put in those stores. Um, we'd go through and look at those new line lists that were coming out for the next season or two seasons ahead. That's how they work. And we would decide what we wanted to buy from the, you know, from those lists that uh, Donna Karen would put out. Wow. I mean, that sounds like quite a good job to go into straight out of university. Was that, how did that come about? Um, that came about, I was doing an internship and then that job just became available and uh, someone reached out to me and said, you know, they have, there is a, I had a boss that was living in San, we're living in San Francisco and, um, and she needed someone to do uh, merchandising with her. I, I don't know if the term merchandising is the correct term. It wasn't in design. It was in merchandising. That was more, you know, where you're not working with the product directly other than on the shop floor. Um, and so, yeah, I just, some, I went and interviewed for the job with a lady called Linda Padalano. She was fabulous and she taught me a lot and I was just able to, uh, work with her and I was, it was, it was a really great experience. I felt like I'd made it at that point. Can you believe that? I kind of have a giggle about that now. Oh, I mean, it was definitely probably like the, um, you know, the, the sort of the, not the highlight of that brand but you know at that time with that brand yes. it was at its pinnacle wasn't it really yeah and she had different labels she had the Donna Karen label and then the DKM wine there was DKM wine sport that was below that but this one was really her her bridge line they called it and this was the biggest one the one that did the most volume for her and so how long did you work um for DKNY Oh, not very long only a couple of years because then I got pregnant and I had my first <laughs> baby but I worked up until I had her um and then, you know, stayed home for a while after that. Uh, but okay. I couldn't for too long. I wanted to get back into whatever I was going to get back into pretty quick. I actually did go back to work, uh, I think, when Zoe was six six weeks old. And so then when did you start to make that transition towards doing more interiors or working, you know, with, with homes or were you still sort of immersed in the world of fashion? I stayed in the world of fashion for a little bit and then um, I actually was uh, had an opportunity with some friends that I'd gone to university with, two sisters that had a big showroom that they were opening nearby near me and they said, you know, would you be interested because they'd come to my home before and they said, would you be interested in um, putting our showroom together and working in interior design? And I thought, oh, no, this is a wonderful opportunity. And um, so, I, yeah, that, that was you know, very, very soon after that, I was, I was started to dabble in it because when um, my baby was uh, six months old, we were living in a one bedroom apartment, we bought a little place. And that was the first time where I really decided um, I love interiors. This is my home now. Um, and I started it with myself in my own environment. And then people noticed that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, word of mouth is nothing as good as that, is it? I mean, it's so oh, powerful. It is powerful. So, yeah, that's when I got into it. And then I moved to Southern California and um, really uh, then, um, you know, it was off and on for a little bit, but then it really started. I I remember moving and I'm getting a phone call and someone saying, oh, my sister really wants you to do her whole home. She's demoed the inside of it. You know, um, she would love for you to do a whole house. And that was a great experience. And so were you kind of learning on the job, as it were, because you obviously hadn't studied in that? Was no, that just 
Yeah. So, or were you learning from your own experiences of doing your own homes? I was studying from from doing my own home, but I think what I did was that those early days in merchandising, I kind of carried over what we were doing in the fashion industry when we were putting a store together, when we were figuring out where everything went. I kind of, I think I moved the information and the education I had over into the interiors. It was just a, a direct move over. It still made sense. It still had to balance. It still needed to um, yeah, I was definitely learning on the job because then you've got to start to learn, well, I need contractors. I need to have good communication with these contractors. Every time I went into a new job in interiors, I needed to have my people that worked that were able to, um, I guess, portray the image that I saw in my head for these clients. And so would people give you like quite an open brief or, you know, was it collaborative um, or, you know, how how or was it very varied the way that you would work with people? I think every job has been different. Um, you know, as far as some clients, I'll, uh, I have one right now that just said, I want you to do everything. I just, I'll approve things, but we hand it over to you. Then I have other people that are doing a lot of research on their own that come to me and say, how do we make this happen? And then I have other people that it's just all, you know, it's less involvement. It's, it varies depending on the work, all of it, you know, a lot of involvement, a little bit of involvement or just totally doing it on my own. So you've got a very distinctive style in terms of how you share images on Instagram. And I'm curious, mm. I know you've sort of been sharing a little bit of some of your projects, um, yeah. which was something that we were talking about last time. <laughs> um, yes. And I'm glad to see that you've been sharing some projects since then. But would you mm -hmm. say that, um, you know, what, what are the, some of the key threads that are throughout your spaces? Do you think that your Instagram gives a kind of a good indication of what your interiors are like in general? Sometimes, yes. I think a key indication, I'll, well, I would say um, a thread, a theme or a thread is that I always love to use natural and organic pieces and every room I try to incorporate a one of a kind. Um, I love n neutrals, you know, um, more than bright colours. Uh, so that I think would carry on very well from what my Instagram shows to what my um, homes look like or the rooms look like. Just, can, you know, that natural organic feel is definitely um, the way that I would describe my projects most of the time um but you know my instagram is really my inspiration it's not my portfolio and um i know i do share in the highlights my work that i'm doing and i kind of do that because that's what people told me i should do it hasn't affected my ability to get work though my instagram not being my portfolio is where people go to be inspired People walk into homes that I've done and that's where I get my work from word of mouth. Mm. It's so powerful, isn't it? Because I hear all the time of people who want to, to do interiors, whether it's styling, whether it's decorating or design, and people can get really caught up in, you know, what sort of qualifications do I need? What course should I uh -huh. do? You know, all of this. And yet really um i mean obviously if you don't have a knowledge of the the basics then you know those things can help but there's so much to it that you don't if you i think if you've got the confidence in your ability to make a decision then you don't yeah. necessarily need to do that would you agree with that 
Absolutely. I think that design is design. Now, you, I have a, a principal designer that works for me and she studied graphic design in London. She's from Belgium and she worked for Rip Curl and a couple of other people in graphic design and pattern, but she understands the principle of design um, it, it, and it can carry over into all different areas. No, you don't have to have a degree in interior design or fashion design or graphics but definitely some um, classes are always helpful and some form of design. If you're good, you're good, in my opinion. If you're good at design, you're good at design. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I've been so immersed in this whole world of what is style and what is styling and how oh, to yeah. elevate your spaces with um, my new book. And that's I've kind of been immersed in writing that since we last spoke. And right. I'm curious, how would you describe your style? Like as as what I uh, how I would are you talking about an interior when you say how you or just yeah me as an yeah individual? yeah well it could be could be both both sometimes um, I, there's overlaps yeah I think um, if you like if you were to say to describe myself you know in a few words I would probably say that definitely as we discussed a very natural organic feel very laid back very very laid back like um very put together very pristine very tight images uh, tight homes are not something that i'm comfortable doing i think people need to live in their homes and so i think it needs to be livable and so there's that laid back feel i think in the work that i do um you know the organic pieces that i incorporate um so that, that's definitely my style and in my clothing too um, you know, I wear. I often pair a really nice Isabel Morant shirt with a pair of old vintage Levi's. Yeah, do you, you know? Think I think it's... that that carries yeah over into the home as well. Yeah, I'm curious because obviously you're an Australian living in California. First of all, I'm curious. You know, how are you received as an Australian from? A designer point of view you know are people open to that or excited about mm -hmm. that or do you have to, is that a bit of a obstacle that you have to overcome and well yeah maybe just maybe you can share that experience okay. I think it's a benefit to me to be you know if if I look at um in some of the questions allowed what would your young self tell you you know how would you um, answer questions of what, if you were young and you could do it again. I think the most valuable thing I have is that I'm Australian and the different exposure that I had because if you look on um, Instagram now, a lot of the local designers that live near me are all doing very, very similar projects. I am not doing projects that look like theirs. So I think it's an absolute benefit that my background of where I've come from has been so different and I think my client is looking for that. So um, it's been really helpful um, to not to go a little left of centre and and to do to thine own self be true. I always remember that. I think of Hamlet and I think when he's uh, Polonius is telling his son when he goes off to college to thine own self be true. That's what I have to do. I don't have to be like everybody else. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's so true, but it's it's not always easy to do, is it? I mean, no, you know, it's actually really hard. It's hard and it's slow. And I always tell people it's really hard until it gets easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and so you have to work harder because I don't do things instinctively the same way as other people want to do them. Photograph the work, take three days out, style it, sta stage it and style it, remove all the staging and styling that the homeowner doesn't want um, and then put that image up on Instagram. 
I don't, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I have Australian followers and I have European followers. They're not going to ask me to come and design their home. So I don't necessarily need to have an image of all the houses I've done on my Instagram because that's not my way I find work. And I'm okay that I'm looking a little different to everybody else, that you can distinctively say, now that's Sam Pothier, a stylist guide, as opposed to some of the other designers. Can't always tell them apart. Yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting. And I guess the other part of the Australian question that I was going to ask you is, do you think that that natural sort of aesthetic laid back is informed by your sort of years growing up in Australia? Absolutely, because if we think of Australians, where do we live? We mostly live coastal, correct? Um, And I think when you live in a coastal environment, which is what I live in, um, it becomes more laid back just sheerly because of your location. And, you know, there's sandy feet, you know, all the time. There's beach going all the time. Our environment is outdoors because of the weather, but that was like Australia too, you know. And a lot of the homes in Australia were very old, especially in Brighton a lot of older Victorian homes, so things couldn't be perfect. So there had to be that laid-back feeling about it, didn't they? Because we're outdoors people. We love to go to restaurants. We love to shop. We love to be outdoors. And so that creates somewhat of an out, a laid-back environment. Yeah. And um, so can you share a little bit about your process when it sure. comes to designing spaces and yeah, just kind of walk us through it a little bit. What you do, what what's one of the first things that you do? Yeah, just walk yeah. us through the process. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I'll start by saying again, my um, my clients come to me through uh, typically seeing a home that I've done. So uh, you know, they'll contact me normally, or I'll have someone that says to me, "Oh, so, you know, my friend would like to get in contact with you. Are you busy? You're available to take somebody on right now." And so I would talk to those people, and they would schedule a walkthrough. It takes a couple of hours, and then I would go back and create a document that would tell them all the things that um, we discuss, what we needed to do, and we call it a letter of agreement. I um, write in their scope of the work. Um, and the reason I do that is somewhat to protect myself because I'm, I'm putting a price on that scope. Um, and so I create a scope of the work and saying all the different things we uh, need to do. And then I put fees that are attached to that. And then I also, um, would let them know who the contractors would be. And then, you know, once we agree and sign that, uh, then we, you know, start the process and the process is a lot of the time working with contracts right off contractors, um, because we're doing demo work, typically we're taking everything out. Um, and during the time of demo, we're also making selections. So we have surface selections, which is, you know, countertops and tile. And then we have plumbing, a whole plumbing plan and a whole lighting plan. And those things become very detailed. Um, and then you continue to do those design, um, you know, that process. And at the end, then we start on furniture, if that's where it goes. Um, and most of the projects will take about a year. Uh, to do. Um, If they're medium size, I would call them a year. Uh, The most important thing I think in that process is making sure that you've got contractors that can um, do the work that you need them to do and that you have a good relationship with them and your client does too. So that's basically the process. Um, I have other designers that will come in and help with those things too. There's a back end, which is all the fulfillment of making sure things are getting there in time and turning up when they're supposed to. That's really hard right now because we've got an issue with um, fulfillment. We can't get anything in. Um, 
And, you know, so, yeah, that would be basically um, a a general way that I would uh, do the process. And what about charging? I mean, that's always something that so many people struggle with. I think particularly when people are starting out and knowing how much to charge or, Mm -hmm. you know, because, I mean, design can be like a piece of string. You're like, it's got no end, you know. (laughs) You can, you know, be searching for ideas and, you know, drilling down on your concept and, you know, how, how have you approached that and what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the years about what to charge and, you know, how much time to spend on a project and maybe even giving yourself constraints about knowing when to stop. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, I do them two ways and, and it will depend on the um, project when I've walked through and spent a couple of hours in that project. Um, I, I will either allocate an hourly and then uh, to the project, and I could tell them at the time based on other projects that I have, I can give you 10 hours a week because lately I've had five, six projects going at the same time. I can't give more than that if I've got that many projects going and they want me to start now. So that's also a discussion too. If we're going to start now, this is my availability. You have to have that discussion with them too. So I can say I can do X amount of hours a week for you at this is my rate um, until the project's finished. Or if I can get a really good gauge on how long it's going to take per week and how many months, I can set a project price to that and I will divide it up monthly. It doesn't always work though because sometimes those months go over and they've already paid you and now you're working for free. And I've had that happen a few times. So uh, there isn't no one way is better than the other, um, except on the project pricing. Sometimes you tend to think, oh, that was a lot more than I thought it was going to be. So you, you end up, you know, earning minimum wage by the end. Mm, um, yeah. I wouldn't, yeah, I I wish that there was a better mecha- a, a better format. I've just, it's been, uh, you know, trial and error trial and error and yes you do have to set limits like I'll get people who would text me at 7 30 in the morning or call and I'm getting my boys ready for school at that point making lunches and you know I like to go and do yoga in the morning and certain things and you do have to set boundaries with clients because some people some clients will not um, they'll take whatever they can get yeah I mean I guess they're probably in some ways desperate you know they're so anxious or stressed out you know that they're sort of wanting to kind of get things to happen what about managing Mm -hmm. clients I mean what are some of the you know the things that you've learned about that over the years in terms of communication and just having a good relationship with them yeah communication is really really important and what I found that I that has worked really um, good for me. I will do, you know, I ha- my schedule is as such as some days I'm in the field, I call it where I'm at clients' homes, but I also work from home a lot because I am finding product and I am on the computer doing research and I'm doing letters of agreement and I'm writing lighting plans and, you know, tile plans and surface plans. So there's a lot of behind the computer work as well. I think that um, over communicating with your client and setting, I like to set one day a week where I work with them. So one client will be Thursdays and we can kind of count on that and you spend that day with that client. They can ask all the questions they want. Um, But I think too, I have a tendency because I'm a bit of a, um, 
an empathic person to um, become really close friends with my clients. So you do become honest with each other when you're friends um, and telling telling them the good and the bad. Um, but there's some people you have to have stronger boundaries with than others. Um, but if I give them the time they need, they're pretty good about leaving me to have my time in the evenings and everything to if I provide during those day hours what they need. And they do require a lot of communication, a ton. Mm. What about um, sort of dealing with trades and contractors? How mm-hmm. have you, you know, that can be, you know, challenging. I think particularly for people mm-hmm. who are creatives and who are, you know, really interested in visuals and, you know, you're kind of in that headspace of what it's looking like and then you've got to get sometimes really technical, really practical mm-hmm. and talk their yeah. language. How, how have you managed that over the years? Um, I've gotten a lot better over the years and I think what I've found is one of my main contractors, his name's Stewie, he's actually from Phillip Island in Victoria, if you can believe that, and he lives here with his wife. I think what I've done much better with doing is um, alerting them ahead of time, having them do walkthroughs with me, allowing them to tell me their availability because I can't do the work without them. And then my design ideas, when they come to fruition, before they come to fruition, they're there. I have to check with the contractor that it can actually be done. Does that make sense? So I might choose something and they'll say, Sam, electrically that cannot be done or um, we've got a wall that it comes up to this position on the baseboard and we just can't do a return like that. So there's a lot of um, uh, communicating with that contractor ahead of time to make sure when I present to the client that it can actually be done because uh, some things that I have in my mind can't be done. Um, and so uh, I, I, and then I do have one contractor that really wants to be involved and control all design as well and he makes a lot of suggestions. They're not always necessarily suggestions that I would have made. So I wait and I allow him to make those suggestions and then later on talking to the client, I will make my suggestion. And at that point it can be the client's decision. But um, that has to happen sometimes too. I have some that give me total free range of all of the um, all of the decisions, and then some that really want to be involved. And I have to learn uh, when to hold back when the client's standing there, and then communicate with the client later on that that wouldn't be how I would do it. Yeah, gosh, so many <laughs> lessons uh, in that. Yeah, the design part I tell people is, yeah, you want to do all the fun part and then pick the furniture and pick the decor and do the styling. That's about 10% of my job. Yeah, but you still love it? (laughs) I do because I really like my contractors and I really choose my clients well too. Well, they choose me and sometimes it doesn't work out. I can tell sometimes it's probably not going to be a good fit just because how they want it to go and what they want it to look like. And, and it's not always a good fit, but I choose the projects that I love. Like right now I'm doing one in Chelsea in New York City. And I was grateful that I was uh, offered that opportunity. So I'm spending some time in New York right now. Uh, it's It's a wonderful opportunity for me. And I love the people that I'm working with there. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so you mentioned that you've got someone that works with you. Is it just one person yeah. or are you kind of starting to accrue a little bit of a team to help you yeah, out? Because it sounds like you've team. got a lot on. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a team, but I have one um, one that's really my main, I would call her my principal designer, Alex, uh, and then some other people that help. And then I have, I just launched a website, so someone who does the graphics for that and then the back end. 
Um, no, yeah, I'm developing a little team. You have to be careful because for me, um, I like to not have a, I don't want to work 60 hours a week. Um, so how do I then hire somebody to work full time if I'm not working full time all the time? And so, um, I want someone who's flexible and my principal design is very flexible with the, the hours and the way the schedule goes. Um, if, if it's someone who's looking to 40 hours a week, every week and on a salary that that's not how my work works all the time, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's good that you're very clear with yourself about what's important to you in terms of your work-life balance, I guess, and, and what is important to you. It, has that always come quite naturally to you to set those boundaries or um, have you kind of been burnt a little bit and had to pull back? I think both. I think I've always wanted to be home with my children. Um, that's that's really important part of who I am as an individual is my family um, and they're my prized possession and I think, you know, no greater work is done, you know, other than the work within the four walls of your home, whatever that might be. I think it's the greatest work you do um, to produce, you know, to eventually see the fruits of your labour, you know, as they grow older. Um, both. I've also had times where I've had to do a lot of things a lot of work on and I've had to have help um, but thankfully I've got a great partner my husband's wonderful and if I'm not going to be home till later he can come I think since COVID we've been so lucky to be able to work remotely and so I have the opportunity now or the privilege now to have my husband if I'm going to be late he comes home and then when the kids come home from school he's here they just want a body when they come home and a snack um, but yeah, it's definitely a challenge. It's definitely a challenge, but it is my priority. And have you had any mentors in terms of interiors and design or was that more when you were working in fashion? You know, I, I'm sure you've heard the name Becky Owens. <laughs> Becky's a yeah. very good friend of mine and she lives close to me. Um, Becky's always been a really good go-to for me. I can call her about anything. Um, I would say we don't, uh, I wouldn't say our designs are necessarily the same, but the process is always the same. The people we work with are the same. The contractors we work with are very similar. Um, and so Becky's been really wonderful as far as a confidant, someone I can go to and ask a lot of questions when things aren't working well or what should I do? And she's been really great um, advice-wise for me, but you know, and then you have other kinds of inspiration too, like you have like the, you know, the stylist Colin King or Leanne Ford, the designer Jake Arnold or Rose Onyaki from, you know, London and Linda Gardner from Australia. So there's a lot of inspiration that comes from there too. So um, I get inspiration from different, not inspiration, I guess, but um, yeah, I guess inspiration from both, from, from having a friend, a designer that helps as well as um, being inspired by other people. Now, we've, we've touched on Instagram a little bit, but I'm yeah. curious for you to share your journey and experience of Instagram because, as you say, I mean, you don't really use it to showcase your work as such. No. Can you share, but you've got, you know, you've accrued quite, a, you know, a substantial following over the years. Can you share, you know, why you started on Instagram, what it is for you, and and maybe even how you set boundaries around it as well, because I mean, Instagram can be an incredible time suck. Sure. 
Um, I started, I want to say it was four years ago. I think it was four years ago. Um, I started it because I, I saw a lot of images, um, you know, I had a personal one, but I couldn't, I put a couple of creative things out on my personal one. And I, and, and I, I wanted to be a person that, that, uh, that was not, not a face, but behind the Instagram, putting out inspiring images that I thought was inspiring that I thought other people would be inspired by. And so I just started doing that and I started finding images and, and putting them on there. And, you know, um, it, it, and I thought, well, if people like those images, they'll be drawn, well, they'll be drawn to the things that I liked. So it would only be a particular person. I was fine with that. And it wasn't to get any kind of notoriety or anything like that. It was just to inspire others with things that I liked. I was like, I was wondering if other people would like what I liked. So I put those out there and then it started to grow incrementally started to grow. And then people do a repost and, and, and I was like, and at the time I was good friends with Becky. I'm like, well, how do you do it, Becky? She goes, you post at eight o'clock every morning. I said, okay, so I'll post. Becky posted, I posted. And so I was learning a little bit from her and I was looking at what she was doing. And all of a sudden I just started to get into my rhythm of finding an image the night before and posting. And then we got to a point, remember, where we could finally do the carousel where we could scroll through. I'm like, what if I was to get a main image and then pull three or four off of that that could be incorporated into that image, whether it be a colour or a theme, and that would be even more inspiring if we scrolled through, you know. And then what if part of those scrollings were put in a grid that were an expansion again and where people where things felt very cohesive together? And I just started to love what I did. Um, it took t- It takes time, believe me. I spend time on doing those things. But I've, again, to thine own self be true, I've stayed true to what I really like as the main image, some carousels that involve that in a grid, um, you know, in a story on that. And um, that's kind of how it evolved. And, you know, people just, we would hashtag back in the beginning. I don't do that anymore. I used to write a lot more. Um, I write less now just because I'm busy. Um, But, yeah, heart and soul into my Instagram. I'm I'm very pleased with the result of my Instagram. Um, I love it. And it's, it's a community of people that communicate back and forth, as you well know. We might not know each other. Natalie and I, you know, we don't know each other as individuals of meeting, but we know each other through Instagram, don't we? Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've been in contact with so many people in that sense. And, I mean, I, I kind of go backwards and forwards between, you know, remembering and realizing that and thinking what value it's added to my life. And then I have other moments yeah. where I think, oh my gosh, it's just such a time suck. <laughs> I know it is. And you know, and it's not that and Instagram isn't kind to you when you take a step back because of the algorithms. Like if you take a couple of days off, you could lose hundreds of followers. Mm. If because you're not then you're not showing up in their feed. So it's um it's you know, the algorithm really doesn't do you a favor if you want to take some time off of that. But again, if, uh, you know, because it's not my source of income from there, um, I can take that time off when I want to, but I find myself coming back on because I also love to be inspired by what other people are doing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I want to look on, I, I want to see, you know, what, what, what's Natalie doing? You know, I want to see. <laughs> um have you um, been approached by brands or any other people? I'm just curious, you know, for them to, the for you to, okay, and you sort of, yeah. you're not interested in doing that? 
No, um, if if the product was right, I would. But uh, you know, from the people, I know they'll normally email me and say, "Hey, we have this line of whatever it is. You know, there's multiple different things. Uh, you know, we would pay you to put it on there." I don't know if that really fits within the framework of of what I do. Um, you know, I don't know. I, if someone came to me and said, um, let's develop a product and it's your product, that's one thing. But to sell somebody else's product that's not um, necessarily in line with my aesthetic is very hard for me to do, yeah. would be hard for me to do it. And I haven't done that. Yeah. I noticed last time we spoke, you were talking about getting a website up and running. And yeah. I think that you have since, you've got we some have. type of shop um, yeah. you can kind of click on and shop. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So what I wanted to do is, you know, a lot of people, can't, they don't hire designers, and, and but they still want a curated edit of things that I would choose, a stylist guy would choose and be in that theme. So I scour the web, you know, the 60 websites that I shop from that I present to my clients and I've curated, uh, you know, pages within um, the furniture realm and uh, the home well, you know, the kitchen, and and I included some women and men in there too. Um, and so you can go in there and shop um, the kinds of things that I would shop, that I would look at to purchase. So I've already curated, and it, it's ongoing. We've got things coming this week, and then I've got blog posts too. And I don't know if we call them blog posts or website a, a, a post where it's a theme, where it's a color theme or a trend spotting or um, a collab. You know, someone who I enjoy that's doing a collab, and I, I'll pick some favorites on there. So, yeah, it's been great. It's three weeks ago we just started. Yeah, I was having a look through some of them, and there's some really good edits. I can see so much how your fashion background world is kind of informing this because it's sort of like creating a lookbook in a way isn't it it is it's a it's a curated edit exactly that it's a grid of almost like a line list that you'd find you know if um someone handed you a line list and said this is the designer and you know pick the things that you want and it comes out in grids yeah so yeah um, so I yeah, no, it's just, it's really interesting. So it sounds like you're working on quite a few interesting projects at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I am. So what's, um, yeah, I mean, are you approaching them all in a different way or can you kind of give us a bit of an insight yeah. into some of mm-hmm. the different things that you're working on? Yeah, so I have a, you know, uh, I'll start with, I have a home uh, that's on the the bluff here in the beach nearby that, it was we took it down to the we took it down to the ground and we built it back up and we've been working on that for a year that's probably going to finish up in mid July and that was every selection that you can make we had to make down to the hinges on the doors to the you know the casings to the baseboards to what is the beam finish in the ceilings and how high does everything go up and the casting of the fireplace so it was every single little decision um, for those clients and they're from Seattle and then they'll be moving here so we did a lot of decisions remotely um, I have another one I'm working on that's a cottage a 1940s cottage and everything in there we've got lots of old family pieces in there all the upholstery is custom with beautiful florals and vintage patterns and wool and we took that uh we took the interior down on that one we're just starting to build it back up now we took some walls down um and then I'm doing the uh, fashion file which is a um in New York City uh, fashion files a company that um buy uh, pre-owned high-end luxury purses and watches and jewelry uh like Cartier um 
you know, Tiffany's, uh, Chloe, uh, Gucci, uh, Hermes, um, all of those high-end lines, um, and they they when it comes in, they sell, people sell to them, and then they um, they clean it, and and then they sell it back on their floor more than from sometimes more than what they retail for, um, and so I'm doing those showrooms and the VIP rooms and stuff like that for their Chelsea, New York um, location right now, and a couple other trickle new ones that are trickling in that will be remodels as well. I'm just curious, what what kind of programs and tools do you use when you're designing? So, um, you know, SketchUp is really, really important. I, I'm, everything, all of my other work is Google Docs, you know, all of my invoicing, all of my room by rooms are done in uh, Google Docs and I would just use a document or um, I think tool, uh, I can't remember what that, there's two different ones, one's like a spreadsheet uh, version that's green and then the other one's blue you know I, I just use google docs well the good thing okay so the good thing about google docs is that you can then share those documents with people directly instead of dropping it into an email or a pdf you can share yeah. that document it's a live document yeah and uh, um, so if you make any changes they can see those changes on a document uh, so, yeah, SketchUp is, would be for the room, for the drawings. A lot of the time, though, my builders and my architects are doing those drawings, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> right? But that, you know, that's another thing, Natalie. Hire people that can do the work that you can't do. I've learned that. I've learned the hard way that there's some people who do things a lot better than I do and it's and then you hire them. My my other designer does it. She's very um, her tool, her skill set on you know uh, drawings and things like that are way better than mine. And how did you find her? I found her because she was buying for a store downtown, and every time I went in there, um, I love the procurement of all the. I, I love the selections that were made there, and at times she'd be in there. Her name's Alex. And we became just good friends and sometimes she would come um, and surf. She did longboarding. She's um, come down to the beach with us and then she works uh, for another Australian company. She worked for another Australian company too that was here. And then we were just chatting one day and I said, I've got these ideas. And she said, I, you know, I'd love to come over and help you with that. And it was right at a point where I was ready to expand. Um, so I just found her as someone that uh, locally in my community. So she lives in San Clemente as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's always, um, you know, such a big thing, isn't it, when you sort of take that step to hiring people to to work with you. Yeah, and you Mm -hmm. sort of want to get it right and, um, you know, it needs to help you rather than you feeling like you're, you know, managing people or, yeah, there's, there's so much into it. Yeah, and, and you want to find someone too that will do the grunt work that you've had to do um, and not say I only want to be part of the design because I'm not only part of the design. There's so many other things that go on and they have to be willing to do that. Uh, But I have other designers that come to me all the time that say, oh, you know, I want to come and work for you, but they only want to do the design part. Hmm. So I'm curious, I've, I've asked you about your kind of Australian connection, but I'm I'm curious about what do you love about where you live in um, California? What's what's give us an insight into what's life mm. like there? So San Clemente is called the Spanish um, Village by the Sea. 
So there was an architect called Ollie Hansen uh, in the early, you know, it would have been like 19, uh, you know, early 20th century that developed um, this little place down here. Um, and it's just, you know, it's about an hour and a half south of L.A., and some of the houses are older and then a lot of people, there's new builds in this area, but it's just such a beautiful surf culture but a creative surf culture. Um, it's probably like Byron Bay, you know. Mm. Um, and we chose this. Uh, my husband and I chose this life because we'd lived in the city or, you know, my, for my husband's work he needed to be in the city because of what he did. But we've made the choice for him to work nearby, um, you know, and maybe not so many hours and for me to do the work I do. And I love to take on local clients. I know the area. I understand the architecture here. Um, and uh, I, I want I want to have clients in San Clemente or Dana Point or Capo Beach or Newport Beach or uh, Laguna. That's where I want my clients to be. You know, I know the environment. I know contractors in this area. It's beautiful weather, you know. Uh, it could be tropical, but it's also cool. There's modern houses next door to like Spanish houses. Um, you know, it's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. You have to come visit. Yeah. No, I just I'm I'm painting a picture now because um, I'm trying to I'm hoping to get across to um, the states for to do some book launch things. So maybe I can make it happen. Oh, that's but um, right. Yeah. What, what's I what's your house like? Point. <laughs> my house is a Spanish. My house is Spanish, definitely Spanish. It's got the rounded arches. It's um, it's a, like a, a plaster on the outside, like a light creamy plaster. Um, it's small. It's not big. Um, I've got the terracotta tumbled tile originals, um, and it's just it's kind of like a little hodgepodge of things, you know, arched arched ways going in um, to the doors and things like that. And I don't get a lot of time to spend on my home, but it's comfortable when people come in, they can see that I put my heart and soul into this home, not only from the way it looks, but the way it feels. And I'm always cooking as well. I have a huge love for cooking. And so I really find that the all senses important in a home. And that's why I'm really careful too. When I style a home that I make sure that they have the ability to have all those things on hand, if they cook, that all those things are there too. You know, it's those touching on the senses. What does it smell like when you come into a home? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? Everything from the music we play to the way it smells, to the way it looks, to the way it feels is so important, you know? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. All right, well, I'm going to ask you now some um, some questions that mm -hmm. I ask at the end of every interview. Um, okay. Recently, I, I said, I've been calling them rapid fire, but then recently someone said, well, some of the answers aren't rapid fire. So anyway, I have to think yeah. of a better, better name. It kind of stems from my blog, Daily Imprint, when I used to ask these questions. So um, you've touched on a few of them already, but we'll, we'll go through the list anyway, because I'm still interested okay. to hear your answers. So which five words best describe you? I would say I'm laid back, but I'm detailed. I'd say um, I'm organic, but I have a lot of grit. And I'd say I'd, I'm really personable too. Very easy to talk to. <laughs> As I'm founding out. Right. Um, what's the best life or career lesson you've learned? Again, from Hamlet, to thine own self be true. You do not have to do what everybody else is doing. If I, I wish I could tell my young self, you know, 
don't listen to what other people are doing. If it's good advice, it's good advice. But if people say, oh, you shouldn't do it that way, or like the Instagram, this is how you need to do it, no, do it your way because you don't Mm. want to be like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, that's a good reminder. What's your proudest career achievement? Um, I would say the results, definitely the results of starting off small and building this little business to a point where it's really a substantial business now of good results when you walk into a home and it's a stylist guide home or a Sampothia home. um, That's probably my biggest achievement. And now launching a website in the middle of all this. um, um, Yeah, that, that, that would be my biggest. And, you know, I think my Instagram too. I love my Instagram. I love what I put out on there. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like if you're if you're not enjoying it, if it's not giving you joy, then you know it's yeah, it's perhaps not worth it. But if it does give you joy, then that's that's good. I mean, go for it. Yeah. Well, and I think there's one other thing too, because if you do enjoy it, um, I think you know it takes a lot of hours to to build a really good reputation and only a few minutes to tear it down. You have to have your my achievement would be my reputation as well. Are you honest? Do you um, do you follow through on what you say you're going to do, and do you, you build those relationships with people? It's really a big accomplishment to have a good reputation. Yeah, no, I mean the fact that you've got so much work by word of mouth speaks, you know, volumes. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess is the the tricky thing can sometimes be, well. <sighs> When, you know, like I, I have that natural inclination to, you know, whatever I say, I want to follow through on, I want yeah. to make sure that I've done it. But then yeah. sometimes I feel like it also comes at a cost and I struggle with that because yeah. then I feel that I can very mm-hmm. easily become, you know, to work too much and, you know, late hours. And, and I've really paired that back in the past couple of years because it was kind of getting a little bit out of control. But I mean, have you, you obviously seem to be able to strike that balance between, meeting the client's needs and, you know, not working yourself to the ground, as it were? Most of the time. I, I mean, you learn, don't you? You learn um, that you can give so much of yourself and sometimes you're exhausted at the end of the day and it's at some cost. But what I've learned too is um, I can always communicate with a client. Like I feel like if I could be honest with the client, if there was something that was expected and it hasn't quite happened yet, talk to them about it look this is what I'm experiencing now this is going to take longer than we thought and I think you should know and I think you should prepare for that and guess what they're always really understanding Mm. yeah it's when you say nothing and they have the expectation that's where your reputation is at stake I think when you don't communicate with them and they're expecting things yeah yeah it's like that honesty is the best policy kind of idea all the time all the time. Don't, you know, under promise and over deliver is way better than over promising and under delivering. Yeah, no, absolutely. What's been your best de- decision? In life or in work? Yeah, either. <laughs> in life, it's the person I chose to marry. Aww. Absolutely, hands down, that the two of us work together as a team so I can do the work and take care of my family at the same time. And he wants my success. He wants me to be successful um, as much as I want it, you know. Um, you know, he, he's, my, he's my biggest cheerleader. Is he American? Um, so he is. He's from Northern yeah. California. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. And he does not, he's n- we're nothing alike. He's in fine, you know, he's a CFO. He's in finance. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful though. Um, mm. Who inspires you? Natalie Walton. You know, you do great things too, Natalie. You've got a store, you've got books, you do your styling masterclass. And I love that. And that kind of inspires me to do the, you know, to do the design work, to do the Instagram, to do the website. We can do, we can be multifaceted. We can do different things. No one should tell you, well, because you used to be in books and you're a writer that you shouldn't really be in design or run a store. It's not true, is it? Yeah, I, I think so that, that has definitely, you know, in the past like five, ten years, I, I think what we can be has really expanded. I think there was a time, I know when I was younger in my career, it was so, it seemed that there was like, you've got to stick to this lane. If you're a yeah. writer, you can only be a writer, uh-huh. you know, or you're a creative yeah. or you're a this or you're a that. But now you can be so many things. That's right, and you can be a writer, but why can't you be a creative? Why can't you be someone who's really creative and writing as well? You know, I have other people that inspire me. Like, look at Leanne Ford. I love the way that she used to select things, and and her husband owns Buck Mason, a menswear line as well. But um, Leanne's done a line for Crate and Barrel, you know, and and I've always loved Leanne. Or you know, Jake Arnold, he just did a bedding line. Just I I can't remember who he did it with, but he did that, and then. Um, you know, Linda Gardner from Australia who does, you know, she curates hotels and different things like that and little bed and breakfasts. I think you can be um, inspired by people who do multiple things. I think it's wonderful when people do multiple things. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. Um, What are you passionate about? Um, I'm passionate about my family for sure. I'm passionate about my, you know, about my business and design. Um about being by the ocean, anything to do with the ocean and surfing. My children surf, my husband surf. Um, I love old film. I love photography. I love ceramics um, and I love travel and collecting. Travel's been a big part of, I think that uh, when we're designing homes, I think travel is a huge influence. You know, if, if, I, if I've only seen California, my views are very limited. If I've only seen, you know, the country of Australia, my views are limited. Uh, the more you travel, the more inspired you get to incorporate things into into my design work. Yeah, no, I, I love travel as well. And I'm one of those people that <laughs> I take like funny photos of like a light switch or, you know, yeah. the grate the <laughs> in the floor. The wall, you treat- know. <laughs> yeah, the wall treatment somewhere, you know. <laughs> no, a type it, of plug it or something, you know, yeah. weird things. <laughs> well, because it's different to what you have in your own home. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I get so excited yeah, and about those things. you want to remember things. that and you do a little edit and you put it out, then it's really cool, you know. Some of the little things that you find are so unique to you, is it's it's inspired design from somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So what dream do you still want to fulfil? A couple of things. Oh, two things that I have in mind as I've thought about it. Number one, I would love to do a product. I don't know what that product is, but I would love to do a product, something to do with a home, um, you know, an interior product. Um, and number two, at some point, a book, you know, I'd love to do a book. Yeah, I could see that, definitely. Yeah. And so go on, what are you going to say? I was going to say, I'm going to come to you when I do that because you're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
the book. Um, yeah, ask away. Um, well, that's a, that's a good sign, though, isn't it? I mean, that's like the sign that gives me a little insight. You know, that when you want to do something, you seek out who can Absolutely. educate you or help yes. you, or you know, and and that sort of that mindset of kind of you know approaching people and and seeking help and seeking advice like that gets you far doesn't it you learn so much that way yeah and I think that um it would be very narrow-sighted to think that we knew it all and that you know we don't that we could do something on our own nearly everything I do is a collaboration with somebody with something or I found you know our inspiration is from other people you know find the people that are the best at what they do at something you're interested in and pick their brains or, you know, sit down with them and, and search them out and, and get as much information from them as you can. Yeah, no, completely agree. Uh, so what are you reading at the moment? I always have a little book by my bed and it's called The Timeless Way of Building. Um, it's, it, you know, it helps me with, uh, with building. And so, I, you know, I read that. Um, Another good one I'm reading right now is uh, Let My People Go Surfing, and that's through the uh, the gentleman who started Patagonia. Um, it's about his work culture, you know, his balance of work-life culture. Um, yeah. Atomic Habits I found is a great book too where you attach other habits to the things that you're already doing if you want to improve on your habits. Um, you know, I read things about like Elon Musk by Vance uh, or The Promised Land by Obama. There's, you know. I listen to books more than I read. I do have some on my bedside table. I've got a good stack, but I do listen to Audible, you know, when I'm driving or taking a trip or something like that. that I'm, um, I do Audible quite a bit. Yeah, I, I like um, listening to Audible for long car journeys. It's um, yeah. I'm driving to yeah. my mum's or something like that. I always love yeah. it. Um, what are you listening to? Do you listen to any podcasts or are you more of a music person? I'm definitely more of a music person because I think by the time I'm reading and I'm writing all the things behind my computer, at some point I I haven't gone down the podcast, you know. Um, other, I listen to the ones that you have. But um, I do have a, a friend called Mary Alice and, and she does have a podcast called What Now? And it's, you know, it's something completely different. It's got nothing to do with design. And it's just a little bit more when things happen in your life and they don't go the way that you thought they would with your children or your family or crisis and things like that and just how people have handled it. She interviews a lot of people that have gone through hard things. That sounds interesting. I like those kind of ones too. I sort of, yeah. it's it's good to sort of self-reflect on, you know, the decisions that you make and ones you mm -hmm. can make going forward. So, so yeah, it sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, more final, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say Sorry. more music, yeah. I'm a big, I love like folky, Van Morrison, the Fleetwood Mac, you know, all those, that, they're, they're my kind of music. That's what I yeah. love to listen to. Yeah, sounds good. And finally, um, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? That you don't have to be like everybody else. You know what? If you feel like it's something you want to do, um, and it's who you are and, you know, to the core, go for it, go for it. You know, don't, there's never going to be a good time. Don't sit back. You're going to have failures and be prepared to have the failures, but you've got to go for it and, and, and be you, you know, be true to yourself 
and just do it. I thought for a while that I was looking at what other, there was times where I looked at what other people were doing and tried to model what they were doing when I realised is what I really wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to be who I wanted to be, not somebody else. So just be you who, you know, we're different for reasons, you know, and, and people either like it or they won't and that's okay. It's okay if somebody doesn't like the design work that you're doing. Mm, yep. So, so true. Well, thank you so much, Sam. I'm so oh, glad welcome. that we got to have this conversation again and got to learn even more about you and your journey and, and what you've been up to. It's, um, yeah, it's been a great insight into, you know, I really appreciate you sharing your work process and all of the things. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint. Imprint.